In John chapter 21, Jesus has already been resurrected. And the disciples have seen him twice, and they choose to go fishing. Jesus is nowhere around. So in order to continue their livelihood, to have food to eat, maybe to sell, they decide to go fishing all night. And while they're fishing all night, they catch nothing. And when the morning comes, they see a man walking along the beach. And he says to them, have you caught anything? And they say, no. And he says, well, put the net on the right side of the boat. And they probably thought, why? We've been out here all night. We put the net on the right, the left, the, t- the back, the front. We know where all the fishing spots are. We've caught nothing. So they did it anyway. And they pulled up 153 fish. So many fish, it looked like the net would break, but it didn't. One of them recognized Jesus on the beach. And they said, it's the Lord. And so Peter jumps out of the boat and swims 100 yards to the beach. And he embraces his Lord. And Jesus says, let's have some breakfast. And they have food prepared. Jesus has already has a picnic. He's got bread ready. He's got a fire. He's got fish cooking. And they probably have a celebratory time. And then as well, he eats fish in front of them. And the disciples are in awe. They don't even know what to say. They're speechless in front of Jesus. This being the third time He has appeared to them after the resurrection. And then Jesus turns to Peter and gives him a very troubling prophecy about his life. Let's read these words together in John chapter 21. Very, well, let me go back. John chapter 21 And you see what Jesus has to say to Peter. When they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he had said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, Feed my sheep. And then comes these words to Peter that seem troubling. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. And after this, he said to him, follow me. Follow is a word that Jesus liked to use a lot. He used it when he called the disciples in Matthew chapter 4. And they were fishing then too. It's interesting that the time the disciples are called, they're fishing. And Jesus says, follow me and I'll teach you how to fish for people. Then here, near the end of Jesus' life here on earth, they're fishing yet again. And Jesus' answer to the disciples and Peter again is, follow me. 
When he calls out the rich young man's idolatry of wealth, Jesus says to him, sell all you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. When Jesus says follow, he's essentially saying to Peter here specifically, you're not done yet. You're not finished with what I asked you to do. Continue following me into the future. Jesus looked at Peter's life and he knew what was going to come with Peter, that he'd be an old man that can't see. And he still says to Peter, follow me. Jesus looks at your life and my life today and he knows what is going to come. And his answer is the same, follow me. Now in English, the word follow doesn't really do justice with what we're reading here in the scripture because to us in English follow sounds like a regimented you look at the back of someone's head it's all about obedience and staying focused and walking in a line but when so when we hear the word follow that's what we think about but when these words in the Greek it the word also means to accompany or to be in the same way with when Jesus is saying follow me he's saying accompany me be in the same way as me that in there you can have relationship have conversation when you're walking side by side you're not looking at the back of Jesus's head he's saying accompany me it's as much of as a relational invitation as much of an invitation as it is to be a disciple. Now, today you're going to hear the word follow as we watched in that video earlier. And we also are going to hear the word famine. Follow and famine. We're just coming out of Lent, the 40 days leading up to Easter. And typically during Lent, a lot of people will go without something. As a spiritual discipline, you'll fast, right? And I don't know about y'all, but the Lent we just had was probably the lentiest Lent I've ever Lented in my life and probably your life too. And when you fast, when you choose to go without something, that's a choice you make. You ask for a fast. You invite a fast into your life. But a famine, you don't ask for a famine. Famine just comes and you don't want it but it affects a whole nation. It affects thousands of people, a famine, which is just a scarcity of, of critical goods or a scarcity of food. A famine can hit you at any time. Now, we as a country right now, we aren't in a famine as in biblical times. We still have food on the shelves. There's toilet paper out there somewhere to purchase, maybe, we still have access to health care and shelter. We still have clean water. In other nations around the world, though, right now, in places like Haiti or the Dominican Republic or other countries, this kind of pandemic will tip the scales. Hopefully not, but it could into a famine. But we in this country, we're not in the place of a biblical famine. But we do indeed live in unprecedented times there's little life history we have from which to draw from right now to show us what to do how do we follow Christ how do we accompany him 
in a famine. In a famine. As I said before, in the USA, we might not be in a famine right now in regards to food, but we are in a famine in regards to uh, uh, how we engage with people socially. We're certainly in how a famine economically with 20 million people out of work, many business leaders don't know where their revenues are going to come from. And I believe that as of this present moment, our nation has been in a spiritual famine for years, maybe even decades, that God in his great mercy is pulling us out of right now, that he has been patient with us as a people, that we have been stubborn And that more people right now, I believe, are repenting and choosing to follow Jesus than at any place in the world's history. And here's what I mean. Last Sunday, Easter Sunday, I believe more people heard about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ than at any time in history, thanks to technology. This is a very small um, subset of an example. But last Sunday a church called Harvest Fellowship in Southern California, a large megachurch. They usually stream their live services live. They've done that for years. And they said they usually anticipate about 6,000 people would watch those services. That's a lot of people to watch a service online, a church service. Last weekend, that one church, they didn't have 6,000 people watch. They had one and a half million people watch. And what church? And 28,000 of that one and a half million decided to follow Christ. 28,000 on one day. Last weekend, Wesley Memorial, we had two services online and on Fox 8 TV. Just our online services streamed nearly 20,000 minutes. Our Facebook posts within the past month have reached 86,000 people in 50 different countries. I don't say that to boast about us at all, but just to say that God is doing something incredible right now in our country, and he is pulling us out of a spiritual famine that we have been in for far too long, and today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to follow, even in the midst of a famine. God is bringing us out. So this week on Facebook, I went and asked people, what are ways that you're following Christ right now that maybe it's easier for you or maybe it is very difficult for you to follow Christ right now? And the responses were awesome. Here's just a few that people shared that I thought I'd pass along to you that were very insightful. The first one is, as much as this pandemic has been a health issue, I feel that it has been a faith issue. And I'm getting that sense from a lot of people. Perhaps this is our wilderness. I strongly believe that God has messages for us right now. And we need to listen for his call and find a way to act on it right now. God didn't cause COVID-19, but he and we can use it for his glory. That's a sermon right there. I could quit right now. So true. Maybe we are in our wilderness. One person said, as a widow... With family still working in public, I have been by myself through most of this quarantine. And that story could be replicated for many lives right now that feel quite lonely and alone. 
And I would say that we really need to rephrase the term social distancing. What we're really doing is physical distancing, and that's good. But people right now don't need to be socially distant from each other. We need to be connecting with people, particularly those who are lonely that maybe live in your neighborhood. But being physically distant. But even this person said, but I've never felt alone. I have conversations with God all day and it brings me such peace. Another person says, when it, my prayer is that whenever my normal life returns, I will make sure I continue to claim the quiet spaces in order to hear God more fully. And they're really saying, I've appreciated the quiet space in my life that this has afforded me for maybe the first time in my life. Another person said, I have a lot of feelings and it's hard finding peace, but I know God is there, but it seems like he's slightly out of reach. And that's the way a lot of people feel right now, that they know God is there, but that's why we go by faith and not by feelings every time, but that God is with you and our prayers are with you. If that is you, if that's how you feel in your life right now. In the, in the Bible, there's a lot of stories of famine. In the Old Testament, Joseph in Egypt, there's all sorts of stories about the nation of Israel going through famine. In Genesis 26, Isaac and the Jewish people are facing a second famine. Abraham, the generation before, Isaac's father Abraham, he brought the people through a famine. Now Isaac has to do the same thing. And they feel the temptation and the famine to do the simple thing or the easier thing which is to go south to Egypt where all the resources are and that would seem to make sense. But look here in Genesis 26, the, the scripture will be on the screen where they choose, God interrupts their plans. Now there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that had occurred in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to King Abimelech of the Philistines. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Settle in the land that I shall show you. Reside in this land as an alien, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. For to you and to your descendants I will give all these lands, and I will fulfill the oath that I swore to your father, Abraham. I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of heaven and I will give to your offspring all these lands and all the nations of the earth shall gain blessing for themselves through your offspring. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac settled in Gerar. Gerar is only 15 miles west of where they currently were. And there they found water and they found area for their flocks to graze. But then look what happens in verse 12. Isaac sowed seed in that land and the same year reaped a hundredfold and the Lord blessed him. That instead of panicking in fear, they chose to plant in faith. And it happened because of God's faithfulness, but it also happened because Isaac listened. He slowed down. He didn't panic in fear, but he listened to God. He obeyed, and they planted in faith. Could they have gone to Egypt? Certainly. Could they have found food and land? Probably. 
But did they get God's guidance and direction? No. It would have been better, it was better to go to what, listen to God and do what they did. They chose to plant in faith and not panic in fear. Now the closest our country has ever been to a famine is what's called the Dust Bowl. From 1930 to 1936, there was a huge, really man-made disaster across the Midwest. It was fueled by manifest destiny and the new John Deere tractor that could be powered by gasoline. And from land that was stolen, unfortunately, by the, from the Native Americans, uh, American settlers in the Midwest would then choose to plow up over 100 million acres of land. They would plow up 100 million acres of prairie grass, and they planted wheat. Now, the harvest in 1929 was not that bad. They thought it was going to be great. But then what happened was one of the worst droughts in the history of the nation occurred. If you know anything about wheat, it doesn't have deep roots. And when the drought hit, the wheat all died. Now, that wasn't just the beginning of, that was just the beginning of some hard times. Because the prairie grass was holding the soil together. The roots of that grass would go down sometimes as deep as five feet. And when the winds would blow across the prairies, as it's always known to do, there was no more plant there to hold the soil. If you combine that with the drought, it would kick up these enormous dust storms. They called them black blizzards. And they would take over entire towns. And in the midst of these black blizzards, there would be these enormous electrical storms of static electricity that were so tremendous that people wouldn't even want to shake hands with someone else, which sounds familiar nowadays, I suppose. But they wouldn't even want to shake hands for fear of being knocked down to the ground. And so, if you combine the dust dust storms with the uh, static electricity, with the drought, people thought the world was ending. And then whole hordes of jackrabbits would descend on towns and just eat everything. So people thought, well, we can't live like this. So they chose to be displaced. Over two and a half million people left the Midwest and went to wherever they could find. Well, no one wanted all these refugees. So they built these towns called Hoovervilles, where two and a half million people would live. Dust would be found in the White House. Dust would be found in the Empire State Building. The dust was so bad that people would inhale it so much they would die from dust pneumonia. This is the history of famine in the United States. And the worst part of it all was that it was entirely preventable. It was man-made. It's been called the worst environmental disaster in our country. G.K. Chesterton famously said, don't ever take down a fence until you know the reason why it was put up. So true. So what happened? How do we get out of this? In 1934, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt made the decision to plant 200 million trees from Canada 
to Texas. And they called it the shelter belt. He said, this is going to be lungs for the land. And they chose not to panic in fear any longer, but to plant in faith. They saw and we see today that power, especially power in our faith, our Christian faith, it comes from doing and not just from hearing. God wants us at this hour in our history to not just survive, but to thrive. The power of following comes from hearing, not just from doing. And that's why I believe so many are coming to Christ today in our country. It's because they've seen that just going to church maybe on Christmas and Easter or here and there, fitting God into our schedule wherever we can, that simply hearing the gospel, it's not enough. We have to actually choose to follow Christ. We have to do something. We have to give him our lives. That power comes from doing and not just from hearing. That millions of Americans for far too long have been taking down fences of ethics and morals and spiritual laws and the precepts of scripture. And we've been casting a blind eye to it all without realizing the purpose and reason why the fence was put up in the first place. We have been in a spiritual and ethical and moral famine. And Jesus sees what is to come. Just as he saw what was to come in Peter's life, and his answer to him was, come, follow me. You're not done yet. Accompany me. Be in the same way as me. And follow. Do not panic in fear, but plant in faith. Do not survive, but just but thrive. I was preparing this message and I thought about what's famously called the story of the widow's might. It's typically a story that we use a lot when we're trying to fundraise or something in the church. And it's the story of a, a widow who goes into the temple in first century Judea and chooses to give basically all she has into the temple treasury. She gives of all that she has. And Jesus says, truly I tell you, this woman's sacrifice will be told for, for generations. And I thought about this woman because back then, then a woman was, had no legal rights. She was basically seen as property. And without a man to help her, she had very few resources and yet she still chose to give what she has. Why do I tell that story? She refused to let the famine on the outside of her life become an inward famine. She did not, she gave all that she had so that the famine on the outside would not become a famine on the inside. That it would not steal her joy. She still loved God. Even though everything on the outside was going wrong, she still chose to plant in faith during a, a, a famine. Because you can't control the circumstance sometimes. But you can control what you do and what you say and how you respond in the midst of it. You tend to the soil of your own heart. That God wants us not just to survive these days. He wants us to thrive. 
He wants us to plant in faith and not panic in fear. These are some ways that we can follow in a famine. As we sing this last song, I want us to think of ways we can not just survive, but thrive. Jesus' call to you and me is to come and accompany him, to be in the same way as him, and to follow him. Let's pray together. God in heaven, thank you for all these friends that are watching right now. I pray for those who are worried and anxious about the future. I pray, God, for your guidance and deliverance. And I pray, God, that we would be a people that plant in faith in the week to come. A people that don't just survive, but we thrive. That, God, if you are for us, who can be against us? That the same Spirit of God that rose Jesus from the dead lives within us. I pray that we would not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough troubles of its own. But that we would be focused on today, the one day you've given us. May we slow down and listen for your guidance and how, we, how you're speaking to us to plant in faith to the world around us and not just survive, God, but to thrive. In your holy name we pray, amen. Friends, let's sing this song together.